Today, the campaign for Speaker of the House begins. I talk one-on-one -on -one with Trevor Bauer's accuser and another interesting twist of events in the January 6th total insurrection. We've got all of that and more coming up, but it all starts right now. Welcome to the news and why it matters. I am Sarah Gonzalez. And uh, today, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan plans to run. He has announced he plans to run for House Speaker following, of course, Kevin McCarthy's ouster uh, yesterday. And another one, I'll just give it to you, Steve Scalise has announced his intention to run for a Speaker of the House in Congress as well. So the campaigns have begun. I want to uh, go ahead and bring in the panel here to get right down to it. Welcome to Jason Buttrell, Chief Researcher of the Glenn Beck Program, who is wearing sleeves today, and I appreciate that. And one of the New Line Blaze TV merchandise. It's oh, I see. You weren't see actually that? wearing sleeves until they said, Jason, you need to wear sleeves. Put on this Blaze merch. Don't give out all the secrets <laughs> behind the scenes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, also, welcome to the show, John Doyle, Blaze TV contributor and host of Heck Off Commie, who is also wearing a T-shirt. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I want... I walked in in like a Trump 2032 shirt and they tossed me this. They're like, we're doing new merch for Sarah's show. You want to promote? <laughs> I didn't even read it. I don't even know what it says, but I just follow orders. So. Oh boy. Um, so I, I just, this is so wild. I, I really honestly did not think that the GOP was actually going to uh, follow through with the motion to vacate the speaker. And so they did. And we were all like, so what is the plan next? Like, I don't disagree with Matt Gates that this is all screwed up and we don't have, we have weak leadership, I should say. The GOP didn't do it. Well, fair. A few dudes a few, did. A few did, and the, and the Democrats. Yeah. Fair. Um, but so <laughs> I, it's just been fascinating to watch. Um, we were not sure what the plan was. I'm not sure that there was a plan. But at least now, Jim Jordan, he served in Congress for over 15 years. Uh, he told the press this morning that in his run, the key is to unite the conference and asked everyone for his vote. Um, I know... Thomas Massey, uh, Mike Carey of Ohio, Jim Bank of Indiana, Matt Gates as well um, have all appeared to endorse Jim Jordan. But Steve Scalise threw his hat into the ring as well. Uh, he tweeted out, it is with a strong sense of responsibility and purpose that I seek the House Republican Conference's nomination for Speaker of the House. Uh, allegedly, there are a couple others who are thinking about joining in the race. Uh, Kim Hearn from Oklahoma and Majority Whip Tom Emmer from Minnesota. Um, and I, so I want to get your thoughts on Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. So first, I want to just limit it to those two men and which one you think would be better to actually lead the party. Unite the party, I guess, but also like lead us in an actual conservative direction rather than, you know, wearing Ukraine flags and sending money to Ukraine while doing nothing to, you know, secure our border until the final hour. Jim Jordan, hands down. I don't I don't see Scalise as being that much different than McCarthy, really. I agree. I don't I mean, and if I'm really curious if like Matt Gates also endorses Scalise. If Matt Gates endorses Scalise, uh, 
No, because Matt Gates already endorsed Jim Jordan. Yeah, but I mean, if he said, well, if he says, look, either one, either whatever, one. I prefer yeah. this guy to be either one, then this almost kind of feels like a personal attack mm-hmm. against uh, Mike McCarthy, if that's Kevin. the case. Or, I'm sorry, Kevin McCarthy. I was thinking Cowboys, Cowboys football. Coach. He's not a Cowboys <laughs> I was just reading. Dallas Cowboys like, come on. But yeah, I think hands down, Jim Jordan is going to be the one that's actually going to drive change. I'm cracking up that they were talking yesterday about how they heard, you know, just walking through the halls, uh, Democrats just like, acting like they're at a football game, cheering, going crazy, like, yeah, we did it. Really? You don't think this is going to come back and bite you, what mm-hmm. you helped to create here or what you helped happen? You don't th- they don't think that's going to come back and bite them. I mean, I, I, I wish I would have been on the show yesterday because I had, like, so many, like, so many odd feelings about this because at one point, well, at one point, you know, I was kind of irritated that Gates did not. Jason went through, like, the stages of grief. I, I wouldn't know. I was sad. I wouldn't say grief. I, I would just say like I was kind of irritated that Gates didn't really have a plan for this. Yeah. Um, but on the other or hand, at least one that we were informed of. Informed of. of. Yeah. He hadn't said anything, which right. typical Gates fashion. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm kind of glad he did it. In fact, I wish they could vacate pretty much every member of Congress at this point because mm-hmm. nothing is ever changing, and nothing will change mm-hmm. if we get like if Scalise is more of a McCarthy type, you know. Speaker, nothing is going to change, I don't think. They're going to continue to do these bills the way they've been doing them. No one's ever going to read them. They're going to push them through. It's going to be based off of special interests, uh, lobbying, whatever the current hot lobby group wants. That's what it's going to be based off of. Nothing is going to change. Yeah. People's confidence in Congress, I think, is probably at an all-time low. Wouldn't yeah. you guys agree? It's, I mean, yeah. who, who even cares what Congress does anymore because they just stamp whatever, you know, Whatever the administration wants or the uniparty yeah. wants to get done. Yeah, the, it's the uniparty, and um, they, they're they like, well, we have to agree on all of these resolutions and spending bills and appropriations bills. I'm like, why? I don't want you agreeing with the Democrats. They want to spend us into oblivion. Why would you say we need to uh, come together and agree on that? Um, right. So, I want, so John, I want to get your thoughts, but I want to, um, I guess I'll, I'll just say this. There are sources who are saying that several Congress members want Trump to be the Speaker of the House because, you know, you don't have to be yeah, a member of, of Congress. Like, you don't have to be elected as a member of Congress to be the Speaker of the House. I Before, sure. I, I did look that up. You are filibustering this. Go ahead. Sorry, I did look that up. Mm-hmm. And it is true. It does not it's specify. It's so wild. It's, you, can, you can tell they clearly, that's what they meant. They right, thought it would be true, right, but they right. just didn't put it in there. But it's not in there. <laughs> um, and so now they're like, well, they, they might want Trump for Speaker of the House. And um, Donald Trump was asked this morning if he would be interested in that. I want to play his response. Response, watch. Uh, a lot of people have been calling me about speaker. All I can say is we'll do whatever is best for the country and for the Republican Party. Would you say that to all people? Would you say say we have some great, great people? Would you take a job? A lot of people have asked me about it. I'm focused. You know, we're leading. I don't know you. I'm sure you don't read too much. But we're leading by like 50 points for president. My focus is totally on that. If I can help them during the process, I would do it. But we have some great people in the Republican Party. Mm, John, I mean, listen, hear me out. Trump as Speaker of the House would be amazing. Now, I was reading that if you're indicted for a felony that you can't be Speaker of the House, so I, I'm not sure that it's going to work out for them. You can, like, do whatever you want, basically, so long as nobody stopped. I mean, he could, I just, you know, it would be good content, yeah. That's really, I think, how I'm trained That's to true. think at this point. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Like, there is like, no, it's only content. That's they like can't the only box him thing. out. Like yeah. They have to sit, sit there and listen to him 
dictate how things are run, they would hate it. Yeah, it'd be like one of the funniest things to ever happen. It's <laughs> so almost like by virtue of that alone, it should happen. But I don't think that he would be, because believe it or not, I do care about effectiveness. I do care about competence. And I don't think that he would have more leverage and more efficacy in that position than he would as the president. Not that he would have to pick either or, but I just don't see why him being there would be better than one of the other candidates, Jim Jordan in particular, I happen to agree with. But I really enjoy these gestures because it shows Congress, it shows the political establishment that nobody really takes them seriously. Mm -hmm. It was sort of like when we nominated Trump in 2016, Democrats thought it was the funniest thing ever because it was definitely going to lose. And they sort of interpret the anxiety surrounding the Republican Party as us not understanding where our direction should be or what we should be about. And maybe there is truth to that, but it's sort of like we are going through a metamorphosis as a party and we're shedding our skin and we are purging people who are rhinos, who are sellouts, members of the Uniparty. And I was actually, I was browsing through one of our resources, I think, at least tangentially, the uh, Liberty Score. Mm -hmm. I think that's from Conservative Review. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and I was going through last night in districts in Michigan, you've got guys who are in districts that are like, you know, R15, R13, and you look at what they're voting for, and they have the political capital to be the far-right extremists because, I mean, they're in a district that's, you know, plus 15, and they're still voting for the regularly scheduled programming. You know, they might vote against a budget bill here or there, but they're voting for more funding to Ukraine. They're voting for, you know, keeping the government open, even though it didn't account for the border wall during the Trump administration. Like, these people, where we need them, crucially, are just not hitting the mark. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's not just that we need somebody in that position to get these people in line. We need all of these people in the country to just disappear, to go back to the pits that spawned them. And we need more patriots to step up and answer that call and become members of Congress. And I think as we continue our sort of decline as a nation, you're going to see that anxiety compelling more people to sort of emerge from the woodwork because conservatives tend to be successful in life and not really need to go into politics and become like a talking head and get millions of dollars. But you see things in, you know, Donald Trump or Blake Masters, these people who are successful independently of that are going to be like, look, you know, I'm still a patriot. Maybe I should throw my hat in the ring. So I think that in the next five, six, seven years, as the cycles continue, you're going to see a lot more of that and we're going to become more competent as a party. I hope so because, to, so to your point, um, it, it's not a, an agenda item, but I think just having that, commanding that authority, having that authoritative uh, role whenever you actually get voted as a majority in power, I think really matters. And it just is so, it's so the embodiment of Kevin McCarthy that Nancy Pelosi was still in the speaker's office up until like yesterday when temporary speaker Patrick McHenry um, moved to basically make her vacate the office. So here's a picture of them uh, taking all moving all of her stuff out. Kevin McCarthy had allowed her to stay in that freaking office for this long why the hell are we voting you in power if you're just going to be like, well, I guess you can stay in the speaker's office. I mean, that is so weak and embarrassing. Uh, there's just absolutely no excuse for it. And isn't it just so perfect to represent, encapsulate uh, today's Republicans in Congress? Yeah, and, and you guys have been working in politics a lot longer than I have. But right, even John. from what I'm just we saying, know you're young. even from what <laughs> I've seen in the few years I've been around, it's disgust. These people are all friends. Yes, 
It's all cute. They all go out and have drinks they afterwards. All hang out. Yeah, and yep. it's like all just a big social thing for them, and they like pretending that they're these political actors and these statesmen, but it's all like a big role play to them. And so we're scratching our heads like, why aren't they doing their job? That's not really what it's about for them in many cases. You right. get an exception every now and then by the grace of God, but for the most part, these people are exactly as bad and probably even worse as the caricature that you construct of them in your head. Go ahead, real quick. Keep in mind who takes that office. I want to say I want them to stay on this story. Does Kevin McCarthy then move into that office? I'd love to find out. I don't think so. I'd love to know. I'm just saying yeah. because if yeah. he does, that means he led that. Can I actually say before you? Yeah, real quick. The Trump scenario. Okay. Trump becomes speaker. Mm -hmm. Trump impeaches Biden. Trump impeaches Kamala. Oh. Does that at the Resolute desk in a few months' time? Oh. I'm just saying. It's a scenario. Imagine the renovation, too, to that office, like gold everywhere. <laughs> I'm so turned on right now. <laughs> we got to take a quick I break. I have that effect. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. The idea. <laughs> oh, the idea. That's right. That's so let's, um, let's go ahead and take a quick break. We will be back with my one-on-one -on -one interview with uh, Trevor Bauer's accuser, uh, Lindsey Hill. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Birch Gold. So last month, the G20 announced a plan to impose digital currencies and digital IDs on their respective populations. Central bank digital currencies essentially allow the government to track every purchase you make. Yay! They can even allow officials to prohibit you from purchasing certain products, easily freeze or seize part or all of your money. So they're going to enable the government to take more control over your finances. So if that sounds concerning to you, might you consider diversifying your assets into physical gold with the help of Birch Gold Group? Uh, you can get a physical asset held in a tax-sheltered retirement account by calling Birch Gold. But first, I want you to learn for yourself. Text the word Y to 989898. They're going to send you a free information kit on gold so you can learn all about it, figure out if it's right for you. And if you have a, an IRA or a 401k from a previous employer that's just gathering dust, not doing anything, Birch Gold can help you convert it into an IRA in gold. Text the word Y to 989898 to get that info kit. It is the word Y to 989898. Yesterday, we discussed the conclusion of former Major League Baseball player Trevor Bauer's lawsuit stemming from an alleged sexual assault and Bauer's recent video in which he released his side of the story with receipts. Joining me now to discuss that is Bauer's accuser herself, Lindsay Hill. Uh, Lindsay, I mentioned Bauer's video in which he provided some receipts that I'm going to be honest with you make you look like a clout chaser, or I know some people are calling you a cleat chaser because admittedly you were chasing after several high-profile wealthy baseball players. Trevor says everything was completely consensual. He also released these text messages that came out in court indicating that you had planned the whole thing out. So I want to read some of these texts from you to a friend between the two of you before you met Trevor, this one. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers. Okay. Victim is an interesting choice of words. I'm, I'm going to allow you a chance to explain yourself. But after you agreed to meet, you asked your friend what, should, what you should steal. Your friend answered his money. Uh, he says another one from you to a friend. I'm going to his house Wednesday. I already have my hooks in. You know how I roll. With a screenshot in which you told him, tryouts don't scare me, Bauer. Pick a day and I am there. Here are some more after you and Trevor met up. Net worth is $51 million, to which your friend responds, bitch, you better secure that bag. Your text, need daddy to choke me out, being an absolute whore to try to get in on his $51 million. You say this wasn't a setup. How can you expect anyone to believe that? 
That's a great question. I really appreciate you having me on to even have this conversation. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on around this, so I really appreciate uh, people who are asking questions about it. Um, the first thing I want to say is, you know, I think that Trevor did this intentionally with the text messages and how he framed this video. Um, there's several things in it that are not correct. Um, and I just want to start out by saying, you know, those it's so valid for people to question those text messages. But the root of the problem here is that he is presenting this as one conversation when in reality he had thousands of message messages to choose from took those made it look sequential which it was not um there is no combined screenshot of those things going on one after the other and as i said last night as well um there's no text message that ever exists otherwise he would have you know put it out there uh combining you know anything about a setup uh through rough sex finances all in one. Those were handpicked and they were not, they were from multiple different conversations all before we met up. Um, and I, I think that the video in general doesn't even talk about what actually happened between us two, which is what would have come out during a, a jury trial. Um, you know, these were all messages that happened before. And then of course the video is so valid as well for people to ask questions about. Um, but I do think that that video was entirely misleading. He also references the uh Restraining order hearing, which people also have questions about. Um, he says that he was cleared of any wrongdoing, which is actually incorrect. Um, in our civil case, the judge had actually ruled that he had not been cleared of any wrongdoing, um, and that was a federal court judge. So, um, so okay, so I, I want to get to the to the domestic violence uh, restraining order hearing as well. But I mean, so you're saying you're saying that it's misleading because you did you're admitting that you did talk about rough sex and wanting rough sex. You did talk about uh, he, him needing to choke you out. You did talk about stealing his money, but it's misleading because he put them together in the same video as if you had said it in the same conversation when, in fact, it was separate conversations. Correct. That's, that's what why it's misleading. Correct. And as well as not showing, you know, the messages that occurred after where it discusses it strictly in the term of, you know, being a baseball wife or something like that. Or something like that. Okay. I'm I'm just curious if you know, like, the statistical likelihood of you texting your friend premeditated texts saying you wanted him to choke you out and steal his money, take his money, and him actually choking you out and those two things not being related. It's a really, really valid question. And like I said, I think you would need to look through each conversation. Those were handpicked. Um, but I can, like I said last night, completely own the fact that those were overly sarcastic, overly um, inappropriate to some may seem. Um, and it does give off that impression about clout chaser and totally attention seeking behavior. But I just feel that they have, you know, nothing to do with what actually took place. But it does cause a lot of questions um, as to why I was, you know, seeking Trevor out. But at the end of the day, there was nothing about a setup with violence and all of this stuff. And getting financial game. It was strictly, you know, a mm -hmm. 25 or however I, old I was at the time, girl trying to get attention from those things and phrasing it in a sarcastic way before we met. Okay, so I've, I've got a couple other questions on that. Um, so you said in court that he sexually assaulted you on two different encounters, and you say the first time that you, you say he choked you unconscious. Clearly the insinuation is you didn't like it because now you're calling it an assault, but why did you make the drive back to LA to meet back up with him a second time if this man had just assaulted you by your own account? I think that's a really good question. How I phrased I it and how I've um, in the past is that 
Uh, I was so embarrassed by the first encounter um, that I felt something, you know, deep in me to go and take the power back and to be better and to be what he wanted in, in, the, in a sense. Um, and so I don't know. There's been a lot of, you know, through all the processes, um, expert witness experts on the psychology of what happens when you are assaulted X, Y, Z. Uh, but there was something in me that felt like I needed to make it better in a sense. Okay. Um, but you texted Trevor before you met him, telling him you liked rough sex. Then you texted him after your first sexual encounter with him, which you now call an assault. And according to court records, you told him after that sexual encounter that you had, quote, never been more turned on in your life. That's not really something that someone says when they were just assaulted. I think it's a super valid question. Everything you're asking me is a super valid question. I agree. That's why I'm asking them. Totally. And I think that I'm not, um, you know, that's what expert witnesses are for in court in terms of the psychology behind that in responses to abuse and things like that. Um, but like I said, I was just trying to make it be make myself feel better about myself after what had happened the first time. Um, and, you know, after the first time I left without any markings on my body, my face was fine. I mm -hmm. could go to work. Um, and I thought that the first time would be the second time, excuse me, would be like the first time minus the things I told him I was not comfortable with. Yeah. So you mentioned the markings on your body. Um, I want to play a portion of his video in which he plays a, I would say, interesting video of you in his bed. Watch. In August of 2021, Lindsay Hill's claims were heard in court. And during those legal proceedings, critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, information like this video which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. Uh, and now we have the metadata, so there can be no dispute. Uh, it was taken mere minutes before she left my house on the morning of May 16th, 2021, without my knowledge or consent, of course. Uh, in it, you can see her lying in bed next to me while I'm sleeping, smirking at the camera without a care in the world, or any marks on her face. I think it paints a pretty clear picture of what actually happened the evening of May 15th and why the video was originally concealed from us. Lindsay, I think there are a lot of sexual assault uh, survivors who would say you don't look traumatized there and you don't look beaten. And this is allegedly after you say that he brutally attacked you and you had bruises all over your body. You had bruises all over your face. I don't see any bruises there. And I certainly don't see a woman who's just been traumatized by something horrible. Again, super valid. Um, I think that I woke up that morning and the best way to explain that video is I hadn't seen my entire body yet. I had no idea what had happened considering, you know, I was unconscious for most of it. I had no idea what had happened to my full body. But if it was that, that severe, wouldn't you already feel pain? Wouldn't you already have bruises on your face? I mean, you say that he punched you in the face, but where are the bruises? Yeah, so that's um, something that has not, you know, been publicly released or he won't talk about. But over and over again in this process, we have handed him pictures that were taken between 20 and 30 minutes right after that video was taken of the bruising starting to develop, of the scratching. And it has been time and time again verified through metadata. Um, it was a matter of being in the correct lighting, the spacing to take the right thing. Um, and another difference is, you know, iPhone camera versus a Snapchat recording and things like that. So there is solid bulletproof evidence of those bruising marks, scratches, mm -hmm. things that were provided 
to their team from day one. So it was um, a very brutal attack in which you were very bruised, but we couldn't see the bruises because of the lighting. Um, I want to move on here. So Trevor mentioned in his clip that you withheld evidence, um, more evidence, and later posted on Twitter after being asked if your lawyers were aware that you withheld evidence. He said, it appears her lawyers had the evidence the entire time. Speaking specifically about the video of her laying in bed next to me with no marks on her face the morning after she claims I brutally attacked her, an email containing the, that video was sent to her attorney before the domestic violence uh, restraining order hearing in 2021, and it was never turned over to us. Perhaps that's why he insisted on adding his name to the released parties section in the settlement agreement. There was also a 12-day span of text between Lindsay and two of her closest friends immediately following the incident that were deleted. We asked for them in discovery for the restraining order hearing, and they were not turned over. Why did your lawyers withhold what seems to be very exculpatory evidence for Trevor? You know, that's something my lawyers would have to answer, and that's his issue with them. Like I said, there was an email. I provided absolutely everything I had. And uh, a key fact about this that no one does know about is that that video was actually the first thing that I handed over to Pasadena police, and it's on body cam footage. So I did everything to hand over all of that stuff. It was my first time in a legal proceeding, um, and I did what I was told when I was told to do it. Yeah, you mentioned that you went to the police. Why Why wasn't he arrested, do you think? Or, you know, no charges were brought on him. Why do you think that is? That Only the Pasadena Police Department would know that. Um, what I do know is that he, I handed over my phone and computer because I had nothing to hide, and I interviewed with them. I did everything they told me. Uh, we have a 28-minute pretext call that's recorded that's never been public. That really explains a lot. Um, and what I do know is that Trevor refused to talk to the police, refused to give him their phones. So I'm not really one to speak on that. I just had to let it play out. Yeah, I mean, I if I was accused uh, by a sexual partner who had given consent to have sex with that um, I was now being accused of sexual assault, I probably wouldn't talk to the police at that time either. Um, why didn't you turn over the text with you and your closest friends as this 12-day span? Why didn't you turn those over? They really focus on that a lot. And like I said, I did everything in my power. I sat up there and I testified and said, I don't have access to this on this backup. Can you please get them from Pasadena police? I would have given everything, like I said, from day one. And so I was bit really an advocate for getting all those texts because I knew that there was nothing in there that would, and you the know. And police, the police wouldn't release them to you? I'm not sure. I was the one, like I said, who said, in court, please get them from the Pasadena police because I do not have access to them. But if the Pasadena police can give it to them, they could give it to you as well, no? I don't know. I, I mean, I asked my lawyers. Um, I don't know if Trevor's team had done that as well. I just did. I was so overwhelmed at that time, um, but I was more than willing to cooperate with absolutely everything. So you said last night in your interview with fellow Blaze TV host um, Alex Stein that you were f you said fully prepared to take this case to trial. But Trevor says that your attorneys approached him multiple times trying to settle after all of this incriminating evidence for you was released. Is he lying? I actually have no idea how the settlement came about. Um, again, that would be, I don't think people really understand that I'm pretty far removed from the process of lawyer versus lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, surely you're, you give your consent as to whether or not you want to settle. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, actually is a really big bummer that this case is not going to trial because all of the evidence that has not been public, um, you know, including the other accusers and all of those things. Um, I don't I don't want to talk about the other accusers because I'm here to focus on you. I, I, if they want to talk, I'd love to talk to them. But this is a separate issue here. Uh, like, 
you agreed to the settlement, but now you're saying it's a bummer. It's not going to court. I don't understand how you how those two things drive. Uh, I think that I really had to take into consideration my mental health as litigation is never ending. Um, and I think the bigger question, uh, and Alex said it last night, if he really wanted, you know, to clear his name or, you know, press charges uh, for fraud, which he did not do with me, he did with the other woman. I think the bigger question is why did Trevor settle and why doesn't he want to take this all the way? Um, and it's because of the chance of cross-examination and all the evidence for my case. I mean, I think that that's an assumption that you're making, right? I would say maybe Trevor wanted to settle because you're talking about your mental health. Couldn't it be that he was tired of going through it as well, especially if his his case is to be made, that he's being falsely accused of something he didn't do? You both consented to rough sex. You had a safe word uh, and you didn't use it. And you don't want your name to be tarnished for all this time and you just want it to go away. I think that it's terrible that you would say he didn't want to settle because he didn't want all of this to come out when you yourself also settled. I don't think that that's a fair statement at all. Um, so my last question, as part of the settlement, you disclosed that you received $300,000 from an insurance company. H how did you con an insurance company into paying you any money? And does that money just go to your lawyers or does any of it go to you? Yeah, I wish I could speak more into that, um, but I am prohibited from talking about that part. Um, so I wish I could go more into detail, um, but I don't believe I would agree with you on the word con at all. So, um, mm, okay, so go into that more. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, Lindsay, I, I don't like it when men are are accused, falsely accused of of doing things, and they have their livelihoods taken from them. And it's done by someone who is, you know, uh, speaking out of both sides of their mouth saying, well, I wish that this had gone to court because if it did, boy, let me tell you all the evidence that you could be seeing, but now you can't. And also then settled the case. I just I don't find that to be credible. Um, I will leave you with this. I want you to learn your lesson on pursuing public figures. And I would ask that you stop sliding into my friend Alex Stein's DMs. <laughs> Thank you very much, uh, Lindsay. I really respect you, and that's nice to, to end that way. I really do respect what you have to say, and I hope there's a day that you can see the, the real truth of the situation. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, I have so much more to say on that, but uh, we've got to... Uh, We've got to go to a break. I, I wish I could see the truth in it, too. It's just that all the evidence that I'm seeing, um, which I, has been provided, isn't quite good for Lindsay. Um, I want to thank our sponsor now. We're going to take a break. I want to thank our sponsor, Fume. So listen, cold turkey, you might like it on a sandwich, but uh, with bad habits, that's not the way to do it. That's not a way to break your bad habit. Uh, you want to look at Fume. They look at this problem, this bad habit in a different way. Fume is an innovative award-nominated device. It's completely natural. It uses flavored air instead of vapor and has all natural flavors instead of harmful chemicals. Fume is going to make the process of replacing your bad habit a lot easier. It's going to come with an adjustable airflow dial and movable parts so you can de-stress while using it. Stopping is something you sometimes put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is very easy. They've served over 100,000 customers. They have thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. You can join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. You can go to tryfume.com and use code NEWS to save 10% when you get the journey pack today. That is tryfum.com. Use code NEWS to save an additional 10% off.
now welcome to the program uh, Blaze Media contributor Steve Baker, who has been doing just fantastic work as an investigative journalist, uh, specifically regarding the events that occurred on January 6th. And Steve here, because he is so meticulous, uh, actually has uncovered um, more than what we already know. So I'm gonna kind of I'm gonna set it up in a like summarization way, and then I want to just toss it to you, Steve, to explain uh, all of the details of it. So apparently, you have found that the Capitol Police officer assigned to the protective detail of House Speaker, then House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, on January 6, 2021, appears to have given false testimony about his whereabouts during a very key encounter uh, with members of the Oath Keepers. So what 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 did you find out? Well, <laughs> you're like, how much time do you have? Right, exactly. exactly. <laughs> we, we could go for a couple of weeks here. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's no more complicated than this. We have a high-ranking Capitol Police special agent with that designation who was the head of Nancy Pelosi's security detail, who was brought in specifically to corroborate the testimony of another Capitol Police officer with shaky um, testimony himself. Mm -hmm. And they uh, essentially created a script for him and put him in a place with a tale to tell that never happened. And in fact, it couldn't have happened because he was a half a mile away in another part of the building in the tunnels when this event that he was supposed to be an eyewitness to took place. Wow. And it's just no more complicated than that. Wow. So, so then ex explain then um, for the viewers, what was the event? Like, why did they want him to be in the place that they said that he said he was? There, there was a moment early in the trial where the judge and the federal prosecutor, uh, the lead uh, assistant U.S. attorney, Jeffrey Nessler, and it was Judge Maida, they had this interesting dynamic between them on, it was a year ago yesterday, October 3rd of 2022. And what happened is between this interchange, uh, exchange between the two, there was an obvious attempt to suppress some evidence, and the evidence that was being suppressed was the potential release of two FBI interviews, what they call 302 forms, and this is the FBI agent's recounting of an interview with this particular officer. And the reason why that they wanted to suppress this, which I learned later mm -hmm. when I got my hands on them, which, by the way, are still never, not public. I still can't release them. I can't share them through Blaze Media or any, any other Why way. Why I, I would they would put me in prison. Why? Contempt of court, because they have never been oh. released. So, but I can explain what the difference between the two is. And, the, and this one officer had provided his um, uh, accounting of what happened to him that day on January 6th about his encounter with the Oath Keepers. And it was a positive telling of his encounter with the Oath Keepers, that in fact, they lined up in front of him, they protected him, they held back more adjutant members of the riotous crowd mm. from him, except that when they started putting together the case against the Oath Keepers, that had to be changed. Right. So they brought him in for a second interview, about four months later, that testimony was not only changed to a contentious uh, uh, encounter with the Oath Keepers, but then they also created another event in another part of the building to say that he misremembered and it was he was confusing the two. So because they had this shaky moment in this particular testimony and the potential of that being leaked out, so they brought in another high-ranking officer 
more credibility, many more years on the job, mm -hmm. works for Nancy Pelosi, mm -hmm. and then he came in and then basically read from a script because there's no way that this guy, just of his own accord, risked himself by committing perjury in a trial right. for the benefit of somebody he barely knew. Another, you know, it's a large police force, and they they really did not have a relationship between right. the two of them. So you, but so you say he claims he was in a place where he wasn't because actually the timestamp on the surveillance footage shows that he was a half a mile away? Well, uh, he was a long ways away. He was yeah. down in the tunnels, actually, um, uh, that lead to the Senate office buildings. So there's a subway system underneath, you know, uh, an actual proprietary subway system underneath those, those tunnels uh, in, in D.C. And what he was doing was escorting senators to those buildings uh, when they had evacuated the Senate chamber. So he was in the process of that, and he was all the way underneath the Senate buildings when his radio went off and said, shots fired. Mm. Well, that was the shot that killed Ashley Babbitt. That happened at 2.44 p.m. The Oath Keeper encounter with this other officer happened at exactly 2.44. So that's when it began. Mm. So he had to start working his way back and we were able to track him on the Capitol CCTV cameras. He, so he didn't even get to the uh, Capitol building side of the tunnels, the actual subway, until 2.49, 2.48, 2.49. So we captured him there and then he started working his way. He got to the Senate side, we captured him, we captured him, we captured him. So he didn't actually arrive to the area where this encounter between mm -hmm. this other officer and and, um, and the Oath Keepers took place until about uh, three and a half, four minutes after the Oath Keepers were long gone. They were already gone. They were gone. What did the, didn't the, what did the head of the Oath Keepers, didn't he just, isn't he in jail now for quite a Eight, long time? 18 years. 18 years. So what does this do to that? That case, did well, you blow it up? Well, it, it should blow. Uh, it should blow all of it up. I mean, the, the, these these uh, this trial should be declared a mistrial. The, uh, the, the the sentences should be vacated. At the very least, they should be retried without these um, uh, perjurious testimonies in the trial. And then, of course, we hope that there's going to be congressional hearings and that these. Because look, these officers who are telling lies in these trials, these are the same officers protecting Congress members. Mm -hmm. Is that who you want on your security detail? Right. Right. Um, Steve, I have a couple other a couple other questions for you on this, but we've got to take a quick break. Will you stay with us? Absolutely. OK. All right. We'll be right back. Right, so, Steve, while uh, while we have you here, so uh, you know we're talking about the potential for a mistrial because of this. I would say I'm not an attorney, but I would say exculpatory evidence <laughs> that wasn't shown. Right, the, but this is not the only. This is what's so maddening. This is not the only trial in which we are now seeing through people like you, investigative, actual journalists who go comb through this footage, that there's. We've already seen multiple instances of this type of exculpatory evidence. I mean, it boggles the mind how much could exist that we still don't have for people who are in prison. That's that's exactly right. And I can't speak to the legal side of what's going to happen as yeah. a result of this finding. I, I don't know. I don't even know what the courts can do other than maybe get an acceleration to the appellate court there right. in D.C. Maybe that can happen. Uh, I don't know that even the judge over that trial. Uh, particularly for the the four oath keepers that were standing in front of this officer, where this whole uh, you know 
concocted story uh, happen. I don't know that he could even vacate the sentence. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm calling for him to. If he has that legal right, he probably doesn't. I, I just don't understand that. But you're exactly correct. More and more and more is being learned as we get access, but as we get time, because so many of these, particularly the marquee trials, like the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, there was three different Oath Keepers trials, and of course the one big, gigantic, you know, long-lasting Proud Boys trial. The first Oath Keeper trial lasted nine weeks. I was there every day wow. for that trial. And in those particular trials, they were rushed the defense teams did not have time mm -hmm. to put together the evidence. They were not given discovery. This is a very, very specific and unknown part of their story is that essentially the Oath Keepers team had access to about 650 capital cameras worth of available evidence out of 1,700 cameras. Gosh, wow. We have been given the, that handful of journalists that were given access to this uh, CCTV, we had access to more evidence than the defense teams had. For that very reason, an appellate court should step in and wipe the whole thing out. Should it, at the very least, because of what we discovered this week, or discovered a year ago, but published this week, somebody should hit the pause button and not allow the DOJ to do another thing mm -hmm. until this is unwound. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is there anything more to come? What else are you working on? Uh, there's going to be a, uh, a part two to this. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there's, there's a lot of branches to this story, yeah. so that part two may have some other things that we sneak in in between, mm -hmm. but there's a really big part two to this, and then there's other developing issues as we're putting the connective tissues together uh, because there, the, there are people who made this happen, and, mm. and we're discovering who they are. And we have the best guy on the case, <laughs> so we're going to get you whoever you are. Um, I just wonder, and I mean, I'm, John, I want you to chime in too. You're awfully quiet over there. But I wonder, like, how, I just feel so gross about our government. I, I just, it's just so unbelievably corrupt. Like, how can you comb through all of the stuff that you comb through, see what you see, and have any sort of good feeling about the people who control a lot, a lot of our lives and what we do? I'm just like, wow, they really are out to get us. Uh, I don't think I'm overstating it. I said it to Glenn this morning is that I think that this is evidence of a true existential threat to our republic, what we're seeing in our court systems, mm -hmm. particularly in D.C. Mm -hmm. Precedent is being set in these trials, mm -hmm. not, just, not just in the creation, manipulation of evidence that doesn't even exist, putting, you know, bringing it up out of, making it up out of thin air, but the, 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 the overriding aspect that's happening in these January 6th trials is a chilling of speech. Yeah. It is a evisceration of the First Amendment, and not only that, but due process, and we could, we could just go down the Bill of Rights and, right. and point those things out, but that's what's happening, and, that, and those precedents are being set in our capital. Yeah, all right, Steve, thank you so much for being here and for all of the great work that you're doing, and keep us posted. Thanks, sir. Come back soon. I will. Thank you. All right, we gotta take a quick break. We'll be back. All right, we, um, you know what? John wasn't very vocal during that last <laughs> bit, so we've only got a little bit of time left here. I just wanted to ask you once again about your shirt. I, the viewers can only see the, the top of it. You are opening up a Pandora's box. <laughs> I believe you are opening up a Pandora's because box. Because 
I am wearing a t-shirt that was purchased at a gas station. You see me and you're like, wow, he must have something to add about these legal processes <laughs> and all of this. Uh, clearly, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I made the journalistic choice to mm -hmm. stay silent. Mm -hmm. You were just like, wow, I bet he has a lot to say about this, uh, which I did not. But since you asked, yes, my shirt says, uh, don't blame the pit. Don't worry about the pit don't bull. Don't worry, see, a pit bull owner, I'm illiterate. Don't worry about the pit bull, worry about the owner. And I purchased this shirt about a year ago and I haven't worn it yet, but I've decided to, in the wake of all this pit bull discourse, wear mm -hmm. it to uh, advertise my support for the breed and for the broader pit community, the pit dads, pit moms. Really? Yeah. But I thought that a few weeks ago, you said something totally different. I did, but then I received a not insignificant amount of death threats. <laughs> <laughs> very well-adjusted people, so. Oh my gosh. Bending the knee to the pit bull lobby. Are you? What's happening. <laughs> I always knew they were lobbyists. I knew it. Motion knew to vacate. It. Motion to vacate. <laughs> Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.